I quit taking care of myself. I, oh. I didn't fit into that equation. I was going 100 miles an hour. I couldn't take care of myself. Oh. That's a bunch of baloney. If I could go back and do it over again, that's the one thing is to take care of myself and yeah. just really say, okay, Lori, you're first. Once we take care of you, then we'll get on to the other things. On today's podcast, we're going to be talking about what it's like to lead and manage through unexpected and unprecedented times. We'll be talking with Lori Henry, the first female mayor of Roswell, Georgia, who experienced leading her city through the pandemic just two years into her term as mayor. We'll learn how running a city is like running your business, and I'm excited to share with you her story of how she managed through a pandemic is making a transition from public to private life and her advice and insight in leading through change. Today, I'm talking with one of my great friends and colleague, Lori Henry, CEO of H&B Print and Promotional Products and the first female mayor of Roswell, Georgia. We're going to have a great conversation today, Lori, about leading through unprecedented and unexpected times. What Lori has learned and wants to share with you, I know that everyone will find very inspirational in both their professional and personal lives. So welcome, Lori. Thank you. It's good to see you, Michelle. It's great to see you as well. And thank you so much for uh, spending some time with us today. So, Lori, before we get started, I would love for you to just talk to people a little bit about yourself. I'd love to. (laughs) (laughs) So, So, Lori, let's talk a little bit about your personal and professional journey and what got you to where you are today. Well, it's, it's interesting, and I've had um, numerous occasions to talk to young girls and boys and talking about their career path as far as in school and what they want to be when they grow up. Mm-hmm. And um, the one thing that I always tell them is life will take you on a lot of curves. Mm-hmm. So you might think right now you want to be a veterinarian, but something in your life happens. Maybe you learn that you can't stand the sight of blood and, and you'd much rather be a policeman or whatever the case may be. But um, I was one of three children, two brothers, and I think that when I was a child, the thing that shaped me the most was that my father didn't care if I was a girl. He's, you can do the same things the boys can do, and so never think that you can't compete with the boys. And when I was a kid, I used to race my brothers, beat them every time, (laughs) beat them at pool. You know, I mean, just all of those kinds of things because I was given the confidence by my parents, which I think I was very fortunate in that. A lot of people aren't, and they have that to overcome. But um, I went through college. I thought I was going to be a teacher. I did that for five years, and... I was pulling my hair out. It it wasn't for me. Um, And one day my father called me and said, if you don't come and run the family business, we're going to sell it. So that's what I did. And I did that for about 15 years. And so it it just went on in in different patterns and different avenues that I wasn't expecting. 
And then um, politics, I never, I never in a million years, you know. And let me just also say this too. In general, men look at politics as a career choice. Women look at politics when they get angry about something. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about that. Is that what brought you into public service? Yes. Um, actually, it was, um, there was a development going in behind my house, and a zoning sign went up, and they said, said on there, come by City Hall to get the information. So I did, and one thing led to another, and I was suddenly on um, a board for the city, and then, <laughs> then my friends were saying, run, and I thought, Oh, my. I, 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 just, I don't know if I could do that, but I ran for city council and won. And, and then um, about six years ago, um, I had some friends come to me. I was back at home minding my own business. <laughs> and I had some friends come to me and say, you need to run for mayor. Wow. And once again, I said, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, it's interesting. I'm... I am an overachiever, mm-hmm. so I like things I can control. Yeah. So, And you can't control an election. You can't guarantee you're going to win an election. I can guarantee an A on a test, mm-hmm. but I can't guarantee a win on an election. So that was a whole different avenue for me. Uh, and it was scary. Wow. But like I said, I mean, it was just twists and turns in my life that that's why I ended up here. But now looking back on it, I can see that certain aspects of my personality, certain traits were driving all of this. I just, it wasn't obvious to me. Oh, that's very interesting. So you learned a lot about yourself through this. Yes, absolutely. So I want to talk about when you chose to run for mayor. Um, If we think about Roswell, Georgia, you know, you're the first female mayor of Roswell, Georgia. Nobody can ever take that from you. That's kind of exciting, <laughs> I think. And, uh, you know, you, you were coming up in um, in a political environment. You know, small town, but not really. We have over 100,000 re- residents, right. right? But yet the city itself, it almost acts, to me, like a small town. Um, a lot of family, you know, families mm-hmm. are involved in the politics, and it goes back decades. And... And you were dealing with a, a real legacy administration as well. So tell me a little bit about, you know, when those people came to you and said you should run, what that was like for you and what you were thinking about that and, and what you were thinking about really what you were going to be up against. You know, I, and maybe one part of my personality is I don't – well on that sort of thing. I just look at, okay, what are we going to have to do? Yeah. How do we get this done? And first and foremost, is it something I would enjoy? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Love doing it. The other thing too, though, is my family. My daughter at this point in time was grown. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my husband, because, you know, you're away from home a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you take a lot of arrows that it can be hard for a family member. But um, my husband was always very, very supportive. And so I just looked at it as, okay, what do we need to get done? Let's get it done and get me elected, and then I'll do the work. So to me, that's one of the big 
first lessons learned and something that um, leaders think about. You didn't even say, I was thinking about, you know, oh my God, what was the, the opponent going to be like? But what you said was, am I going to enjoy this challenge? Am I going to enjoy this work? Right. And then what would be the impact on my personal life? Yes. And so those things help to drive your decision. Absolutely. So I'm going to ask you about what it is like, what it was like when you came into, so you were very popular. I mean, I was actually part of a couple parades for you, you know, like, but you were a very popular mayor and you were coming in and then midway through your administration, there's this darn pandemic, right? So we get this pandemic, which brought with it a whole host of issues great or uh, greater than or as great as the pandemic. So it, it, you know, people can argue either way. The social unrest that followed, mm -hmm. a lot of things were happening with businesses closing down. So the state of the economy of the business, right? Suddenly, a mayor may not be so popular any longer. Like, tell me, first of all, just as the pandemic hit, what were you thinking about what you needed to do? And what were you thinking about um, what about the city? Well, it, let me put it this way: um, I was going, I, I was going about being the mayor and pushing my agenda, which is what I promised the voters I would do. Mm -hmm. And I thought that I knew what I was going to be doing for the next four years, and then. Oops, <laughs> the pandemic. Yeah. And, um, but it was, let me put it this way. It wasn't difficult. It put my agenda on the back burner. Okay. Because now what was in the forefront was running the city. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, what it boils down to is city hall is a service industry. That's what city hall is there for, to pick up the garbage, to deliver water, you know, fix the potholes, all of those things. And that's what people wanted. People were in a pandemic, mm -hmm. but they didn't want to give up any services. Mm -hmm. So we closed City Hall for a little over three months, but we still had to provide the services. Mm -hmm. And we never missed a beat. And that's what I am really, really proud of because we never missed a beat. And stop and think about it. While people were lamenting over um, having to stay at home and quarantining themselves and wearing masks and all of that kind of stuff, we had guys on the back of garbage trucks picking up other people's garbage. We had, mm. you know, so all of that was continuing, and it was the difficult decisions were really how do I keep the employees safe mm. and continue to operate the way we should be operating, and City Hall is closed. And then um, also you had the political aspects of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So um, no matter what decision I made, it was not going to be favorable to some people. Mm -hmm. And if you remember during the pandemic, there were clear political lines mm -hmm. in the sand that um, if you're pro-mask, anti-mask, all of those things. So I knew... I was just going to make people angry. And yeah. some people happy, but people were going to be angry with it. And 
people tend to remember the things that they're angry with. Mm. No, I, I can guarantee you I could walk out in the city of Roswell right now and ask people what they remember from the pandemic. Did, how were your services? And they just, I don't know. You know, because they were thinking they're living their lives. Uh-huh. And that's what City Hall is there for, is to make sure things are taken care of and you and I can r- just live our lives. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to worry about that. Think about that. In a third world country, you'd be worried about getting your garbage picked up. Yes. You know, there, yeah. there's a lot of, so we did provide a lot of comfort, but it was a political landmine, and it was um, also difficult from a, from a management standpoint because you had, were functioning as a city, and we're trying to get things done. We're, we've got, now we're remote working. Yeah. And we're a service industry. How does that look? And so we were going through all of that. Our receptionist was at home in her living room answering City Hall phones. Oh, no. <laughs> we, we had everything linked up to cell phones yeah. so that when you've called, you never knew or um, emailed. You never knew that City Hall was closed. Wow. But then that's where I think another thing, too, with um, being a leader or a manager is that you're the voice of reason. You've got to just balance that scale on what and how we do this because people are people. You know, they don't like to go outside of their comfort zone. They don't like change. That's just human beings. That's what we do. But, um, and I remember that was a fairly unpopular decision was um, when we were coming out of closing City Hall. Um, And most people were pretty much, we kind of knew about COVID now. We had a better handle on things. Mm -hmm. And so we're bringing people back into the office, but people didn't want to come back in, not because they were uncomfortable coming in, I don't think. I think it was because they thought, well, I can answer the phone at home. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we see that across the world, the the United States. and Yeah, so and I walked into City Hall one day, and um, I'm in this huge rotunda. Yeah. And I went to the city administrator, and I said, where's the receptionist? And he said, well, she's answering the phone. She's at home working (laughs) remotely. And I said, oh, no, no, no. People want to see people when they come into City Hall. And that was a point where I had to kind of push staff out of their comfort zone. But then also, let me say, by and large, we've got very professional staff in the city, and I relied on them heavily throughout this process because they're very good. They know what they're doing. But, you know, I... As a leader, you have to be the steadying force. Mm-hmm. Yep. So. So when we think about turmoil and all the controversy in the pandemic, I want to bring up a famous or infamous interview that you did. <laughs> During the pandemic, as we know, President Trump, who at the time, he was a big supporter of Governor Kemp, our mm-hmm. governor, uh, who you are on personal, your personal friends as well mm-hmm. as you know business acquaintances, the he he basically said that our state was doing too much to open up 
Um, we were opening up a little bit too quickly on that. And so I wanted to get your take on the interview that you had. So you were put on the spot a little bit with Chris Cuomo at the time, right? So you're going on to a national now news medium never had before. And I want to talk about, because you and I discussed that whole situation. There wasn't a lot of planning time mm -hmm. and all that. So from the beginning, just kind of take us through what your thought process was, what happened, and then the end state. Well, it was kind of a whirlwind. Yeah. And and first, let me tell, the, tell you this, <laughs> this is just kind of a funny thing. Um, and don't ever get sidelined by it. Uh, <laughs> so we're doing the Zoom meeting. And I'm at my desk at City Hall, and I've, you know, got the, I did learn to put the camera up above my head. I learned, oh, good. I learned yeah. that one. <laughs> but, um, you know, I don't have lighting, sound, anything. And I'm talking to Chris Cuomo, who's in his basement. So I'm thinking, he's in the same boat. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> he had full makeup, lighting, sound. I, he looked like a movie star, and I'm just sitting in my office like this. And, and it was, it, it, that can be intimidating, yeah. or it can be kind of funny, but um, they actually called my office that afternoon and that evening, I think it was like at 10 o'clock at night, I can't remember, was the interview. Oh my gosh, yeah. Well, so here was the other interesting part about it, because I went into the interview mm -hmm. saying to myself, you need to make the decision for what is best for the city of Roswell. You don't waver in that. I, I never wavered in yeah. my decision. Um, so whatever he asks, I'll just say it's for the health, safety, and welfare of the citizens of Roswell. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whether it's businesses opening, whatever the case may be, having a strong business base in the city is part of your quality of life. Yes, yeah. So, um, and a lot of people don't think about it that way. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm juggling businesses, you know, homeowners, and then we don't have city schools, but the county schools, they're doing things that are angering parents. Mm -hmm. And so I'm getting calls about when can their children go back to school. But, but anyhow, so we're going through all of this. And um, Chris Cuomo, I think, called me. Somebody did the research for him um, that knew that I was a Brian Kemp supporter and acquaintance and, you know, all of those things. So he thought, really, he, he was just basically trying to bait me. And I, he thought I was going to support Brian Kemp. And you can see him, if you go back and watch the interview, he just went. <laughs> I remember. So it shocked the heck out of him that I wasn't supporting Brian Kemp. Um, I was supporting what was best for the city of Roswell. But after that interview, um, you know, and of course after that you're thinking, oh my God, what did I say? Because I never remember what All I said. Right. <laughs> but um, after that, I, I got phone calls from probably six or more heavy hitter journalists. Oh my. And... Um, a good friend of mine and colleague said, do you, do you want to do them? I said, well, I don't know if I should or not. And she said, well, did you, do you have anything else to say? I said, no, I said it all. And she said, well, then just stop because they're, 
they're going to be looking for something to hang mm. you on. And so just stop. And I said, I said what I needed to say. I'm good. So I didn't take any more interviews after that. Wow. But that was but a successful interview. <laughs> I know. I mean, so tell me, like, what it was like. And, okay, what advice would you give other women in leadership, other people, men or women in leadership, that if they get that call, you know, I mean, you had very little time to prepare, but is there anything you learned from that that you would pass on and say, I would have done this? I mean, I hear you on the hair and makeup thing. Yeah. But outside of that. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> um, well, like I said, they, they have an agenda when they okay, interview yep. you. And so you just have to be resolute in your stance. Mm. I mean, don't, just don't let them, don't let them sideline you or throw you a curveball. It's just, um, what's that saying? The broken record? Yeah. Yep. You just keep going back to that in your mind and say, well, this is, this is what I'm here to say. And you might ask me another question. And then I say to myself, Let's pull this right back around to what I want to say ah, mm-hmm. and tie it in. Yep. And that way you don't get befuddled. Yes. Because it's easy. And I know you, Michelle, and I, <laughs> and I know that you and I are both the type of people that really have to have done our homework. Oh, yeah. We need to feel good in our skin before we actually go out and talk to people. And um, I think that's helpful um, I don't ever, don't ever go out there when you're not feeling a hundred percent good in your skin. You're resolute. You know what you want. You know what your message is, and you know how we're going to get there. That's great. So I got a story that I'll share with you. Uh, my senior year of high school, I was so excited. I was editor of the the Mont Pleasant Watchtower, our our paper, <laughs> yeah, at the high school. And, oh, my God, Lori. So as the editor, we had to go out with your team of people. um, We had to go out and get ads from the community, right? So we had to solicit people to within the community to sponsor these ads. Now, here I am, partner in a consulting firm that deals with sales, right? Sales effectiveness. But I wasn't ready for this one. So what happened was I had all the people. We brought them in, and we're we're in one place, right? So we, we... we're going into a few of the area businesses, you know, giving our pitch. And people were buying, but it was not, you know, I didn't feel overly prepared or overly comfortable. So we stopped to have lunch somewhere, you know, some little fast food place or something. I can't recall. And I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, like, my uh, some of the people that were there, they're looking at me, my uh, classmates, and somebody said, Michelle, something's happening to your face, right? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm a little itchy, right? <laughs> I totally broke out into hives oh, because wow. I was like stepping into this unknown thing. It's never happened to me since. It's so strange, but I was 17 years old and it was a whole new, you know, <laughs> arena for yeah. me, right? A whole new landscape, not prepared for it. And so at least that did not happen to you, Right. And so it's, um, but I, I understand because I'm always very well prepared. And in that situation, I didn't feel as well prepared. And that's right. what happened. So I've had to yeah, learn. Yeah, kind of notch in your to heels. Get comfortable. Yeah. yeah. You have to learn to be comfortable in those uncomfortable situations. Yes. And confident. Yeah. yeah and confident. And confident. So 
I wanted to talk about this because this is another thing that happened during that pandemic. And I saw, you know, I witnessed some what I thought were great actions that you had. Now, we already talked about already being a mayor of a, a city. It's It can be no win, but during a pandemic, it's even worse. And I know that, or I personally believe that the pandemic was a catalyst for really raising some of the social issues that arose you know, throughout the country, really. And we had some violence that happened. Never had that here in our city, but we had a lot of differing views. We had a lot of people arguing. And yet I saw you work very hard to bring the city together. And I just wanted you to share a little bit about like what it is that you do. I mean, I saw you from before you campaigned to well after, how you work very hard to bring together diverse people and viewpoints. Um, and I'd love for you to share a little bit of that with others. Well, I think during the pandemic and also things that were going on politically in Washington and, and um, worldwide, people, we talked about it before, people were pushed out of their comfort zone. Mm -hmm. uh, they're at home. Um, they're listening to social media and, and um, news commentators and, uh, you know, all of that. Yeah. And people started getting angry. And I could, I could feel it. People were angry. And as a local government, you're very accessible. So people get angry, and they don't care if they take it out on me. You know, mm -hmm. they, they just want to take it out on somebody, and they can't call up Trump or, or <laughs> Brian Kemp, but they can call Lori Henry. <laughs> so you kind of end up being the punching bag, but at the same time, we were experiencing some issues with um, social unrest and um, a number of fairly well-formed groups in Roswell were, you know, wanting to do some um, things at City Hall on the steps and rallies and marches and all of that kind of stuff. And um, my attitude was, come on. We want to be a part of the discussion um, because I've always found that it's harder to hate someone when you are face-to-face -face with them mm. and you're working with them. Then there's an understanding. There's something going on. So I, ju I just pulled together mm -hmm. the people that I had become friends with in the city, and um, I formed a racial equity task force. Mm -hmm. um, and... I'll tell you, the biggest challenge in all of it was being honest, because we would get together, and then we had to do the, you know, the Zoom meetings, and yeah. oh, God, I hate those things. But <laughs> <laughs> we had to do that, and um, you know, it's a little harder to talk sincerely to people over a camera or mm -hmm. computer screen, but um, it was difficult to be honest because what I found in having our discussions were people have definite ideas about mm -hmm. how we can improve things, but they're afraid of offending others. Wow. So um, it it's kind of hard to pull people out of that. Yeah. But um, I think we were pretty successful, and we, we did a lot in the city, and, um, you know, and it— it really 
it's all a matter of, and the other thing too is I, I always consider myself to be the face of the city. So whenever I was invited um, to a synagogue or a mosque or a church, I always went because that's a, the fabric of our community. Yeah. And we all have we all have different views. We all have different lifestyles, but that's the fabric of our community. And I'll tell you something interesting. This is what I love. This was the the best thing about the city of Roswell. Years ago, when I was campaigning, mm -hmm. I'd say to people going door to door, "What are the things you love most about Roswell?" And they would say, "Schools, parks, and our neighborhoods." Uh huh. The last six years ago when I was campaigning, I asked the same question. Mm -hmm. They'd say schools, parks, our neighborhoods, and the diversity. So I was already seeing a shift yeah. that um, we had a lot of younger families moving into Roswell who wanted a very safe, inviting environment for their children, but they also wanted their children to be raised in a realistic environment. Yes. And yeah. diversity is very important. Mm -hmm. So I kind of just took that ball and ran with it. I, it was a message I got yep. from the citizens. Yeah. And so that was just front and foremost that that was something I was going to work on. You know, and it's true. I happen to live in this beautiful city of Roswell, and that is the single driver. That was it. I mean, I love the parks. I love that I can just run out my door and be in a park. But it was the diversity mm -hmm. as well, and I wanted my my kids to experience right. that because yeah. that is the fabric of our society, and that is our life. So, anyway, that's that's great. Um, all right, now let's talk about keeping this darn podcast real, like I always do. <laughs> and you know, I want to ask you about this because it's hard when you're being attacked all the time to like keep your cool. Right. I mean, and I will tell you that through the pandemic, I have one moment that still haunts me in my mind. Right. I'm sure the person who I who I interacted with is completely forgot, maybe. But um, it, I one time in my professional life, I like lost it, you know, and I just blew up, you know, and I and immediately in my mind, as my mouth is going, I'm saying, shut up, Michelle, shut up, Michelle, shut up, Michelle, right? But I felt like I'd been pushing, 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 and my mouth kept going, and my brain saying, shut up. You know, it was just not a pretty thing. How do you keep cool? And then what happens when you just don't? And then how do you kind of manage through that? Because I, I think that's a really difficult thing to manage on, a, a, you know, particularly in high-stress situations. Well, and it can be tough. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I'll tell you, I, well, as you can tell, I'm a very animated person when I talk. Um, but I was having a conversation that was, um, and my daughter will tell you that I, I can be as mean as a snake with a smile on my face <laughs> <laughs> and never raise my voice. <laughs> She's like, mom, you have a gift. <laughs> but I was talking to the city administrator in my office and I don't even remember what we were talking about, but I, I'm leaning over the table <laughs> and I'm talking to him. Well, I didn't even realize I was pointing my finger. Oh no! <laughs> Which is really a, not a good thing to do. To <laughs> and he just looked at me and he said, "Take your finger out of my face." 
Oh. And I was, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> you were like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, just deep breath. And I felt horrible about doing it. I didn't yeah. even realize it. It was just one of those oh, things that it yeah. just, it came out. <laughs> but yeah. um, normally I'm very fortunate that I'm, I'm just very measured. Yeah. And um, what's that saying by... Um, it's not a saying by Rudyard Kipling about when all of those around you are losing their heads, if oh, yes. you can keep yours. Yeah. And that's what I think being a leader um, of people, yeah. a leader in business, that's what it's about. Because um, I'll tell you, whether it's sales, anything, your customers start flipping out about, oh, you know, <laughs> we, we need that print job for a conference we've got tomorrow, and it's not here yet, and it, and my job is to stay calm and confident and just say, don't worry, we'll take care of it. And I, I don't know how the heck we're going to take care of it, but <laughs> <laughs> my message is we'll take care of it, don't worry. And that'll, that brings that level of frustration and um, of other people, you know, down. Because they're like, okay, <laughs> she says she's taking care of it. It's off my shoulders now. <laughs> and I think that's important. I think that's always yep. important to remember. All right. So I want to shift gears a little bit and uh -huh. talk about, because you've done this a couple times now. You, you transitioned from private life to public life and then public to private. Now you've done that again. You went back into public life as mayor and now back into private life. And I think about that as just transitions, right? So leaders making transitions, it could be, Going into the big job, it could be leaving that big job expectedly or unexpectedly. And, you know, I'd, I'd love you to share a little bit about, like, what's the transition like? And then I do want to get into uh, a little bit about the business you've got today. But what's the transition like and how did you make that transition? Well, I I have to say it it was easier going into public life. Because you have a lot of expectations, you have a, a lot on your plate. Um, what I have found a little more difficult is stepping away from that because I went from not having a life to now I've got one. It's like, what am I going to do with this? <laughs> because when you're busy 24 hours a day, yeah. you don't have time to think. And then all of a sudden I'm at home and it's like, well... Yes, I could do the laundry. <laughs> but it was I was kind of floundering for a while. And I, wow. I know you know that because we talked, but um and still I'm finally getting back into the swing of things, but it it does take a while to shift gears. Mm -hmm. It's it's weird. Wow. Yeah. But yeah, we're <laughs> I'm it doing is, fine now. But you're doing fine. Yeah. All right, that's good. But that's like good. I said, it was it was tough there in the beginning. I think that's, yeah. I, I know that it was difficult making that transition. So what advice would you tell women that are going through a transition like that? Take care of yourself. And, I, I mean, that's the, that's the biggest thing. What happened huh. to me when I um, became mayor was, now, first let me back up. I was religious about going to the gym, staying fit, all of those things, and then all of a sudden I'm the mayor, and when you're the mayor, things aren't nine to five at all. Oh, 
Yeah. So, you know, you get a call at two o'clock in the morning from the chief of police or whatever the case may be. So you're on all the time. And I quit taking care of myself. I I didn't fit into that equation. Mm -hmm. So fast forward four years later, and I've gained 50 pounds. And now I'm struggling to get back in the gym, take Mm -hmm. care of myself first, because I'm not really good to anybody if I'm not taking care of myself unless I'm going 100 miles an hour. And see, that's my excuse again. I was going 100 miles an hour. I couldn't take care of myself. That's a bunch of baloney. You know, if I went, if I could go back and do it over again, that's the one thing is to take care of myself. And now that I've got time on my hands, it's to take care of myself. I can, I feel now like I I can take a deep breath and just really say, okay, Lori, you're first. Once we take care of you, then we'll get on to the other things. That's fantastic and really good advice because I, I tend to not meditate and I and I've actually learned that it really does make a difference. It's only ten minutes. Anybody can make the ten minutes. So I think you're right. Yeah. You know, we have to intentionally make time for mm-hmm. ourselves because yep. nobody else is going to do it. No, yeah. no, yeah. All right. So let's talk a little bit about your business. And, um, you know, I, I you are what I call a serial entrepreneur, right? Starting with your own family business and now CEO of another family business, right? But, um, and with your husband, Carl, and you run an online B2B business now, right, right in this promotional products. But this is a business that's been around for a long time. It's well-established. And, um, and I know it started in print. Like, we can talk a little bit about that, but... What I'm most interested in is sharing with people how your that business, which is very successful, made the transition from, you know, print the way it used to be, right? right? Pre-internet, pre-omni-channel, yeah. pre-whatever you want to call that, the digital ordering, to how you, now that's, I believe, your primary source of how you get your business going or get your orders. Mm-hmm. But how did that work? You know, it's really hard to make that transition. So where did it start? How did you go on to the online stuff? Or like, how did that all happen? And and tell me a little bit about that. Well, I think, and you know a lot about sales. <laughs> but I think that um, all of it goes back to relationships mm, yeah. and communicating with your customers. And um, like I was just saying, when you've got a customer that's flipping out because yeah. they're worried about something, they've got to have the confidence in you that you're going to pull it through. Mm-hmm. So I think that through all of that transitioning, um, it was the relationships that we had, mostly my husband. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been in the print ind- industry for 50 years. But he... You um, said 15, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he's just a baby. <laughs> But um, so it's the relationships because sales isn't about selling. It's about servicing. Mm. So people know when they come to us, you know, somebody will come to us for a promotional product and say, this happens to us all the time. I need um, 500 Christmas gifts. What do you suggest? Mm -hmm. 
and we're just basically the personal shoppers and find yeah. different ideas and and get these folks you know samples and that sort of thing and but it's doing the work for them so they don't have to do it but then you know with the print of course print has changed a lot yep but businesses are still going into conferences they're still having meetings we had one just recently where it was kind of nip and tuck we were supposed to have some uh, things delivered to a boardroom in New York for it was just it was for 10 people oh wow but this packet was pretty important so uh -huh. you know there's those things still exist but here's what happens those people will say call H&B they'll take care of it for us that's great. And so, like I said, it's, it's the confidence in us, and it's the service that we provide, mm -hmm. and um, and then they tell business colleagues, oh, you know, call Carl and Lori; they'll take care of it. And it it really has kind of grown organically. That's fantastic. Yeah, we don't knock on doors, and, and yeah, but. So it's just a, it, it's been a great business for us. And the other thing was, is when we were, you know, thinking about what we would do in retirement, this is something we, we can do this in Florida. We could do it this yeah. in Hawaii. We can do it in Roswell. It doesn't really matter. Um, so it's just that the relationships, I think, is the most important thing. And people having confidence in you. That's fantastic. I would completely agree with that. Well, Lori, that I have had this most wonderful conversation with you today. Thank you so much for being on this podcast. Thanks um, for having me, and thanks for doing this. Yeah, that's well, great. Of course, thanks a lot.